0: Is kind of park it just for a minute on uh, in Revelation chapter 14, and I want to take the opportunity that we have here to show you something uh, in your Bible that'll help you understand. If you can grab a hold of this, it's going to help you understand a lot of things, um, especially those of you that are newer to rightly dividing the word of truth. Okay, and for those of you that have been around a long time, listen. I'm restudying this stuff myself, and it's helping me. And I'm not even going to tell you how many times I've read my Bible cover to cover, how many hours, hours and hours, literally. I went back at one point probably five or six years ago and added up a real close guesstimation on the low end of how many hours I've spent studying Bible school, sermons, not preaching sermons, or studying to prepare sermons, studying, like to pass tests in school and all that stuff, thousands of hours. That I've spent studying my Bible and reading my Bible, I I I was raised in a church that rightly divided the word of truth. I understood what rightly dividing was, on in a a rough framework very early on in my life, and this is still helping me. So don't please don't please please don't ever get the attitude of I already know all this stuff. You're going to stunt your growth. God will keep showing you things. Even if you already know this stuff, if you ask God to show you some stuff, God will show you some stuff. And what my goal, my objective tonight is this. I want to help you understand that that book in your lap is a beautiful, supernatural, amazing book. Don't ever doubt it. Just believe it. And when you come across stuff that doesn't match your belief system... You've got to step back and say, all right, Lord, show me what's going on here. You have to understand what it means to rightly divide the word of truth. Um, I took this chart, just so that you know up front, because I don't believe in plagiarizing. I took this chart and the, and the one I'm going to show you on the backside from Dr. Walker's book. He's the dean of students at the Bible Doctrine Institute and the pastor in Monticello, Florida. Uh, he's, he's one of the best Bible teachers, in my opinion, that's out there. He's phenomenal. And I took this information from his book. You need to buy his book and read it. it. It'll do you a lot. The guys that are in the school have to buy it. And uh, it's real good stuff. But he lays out the four different Gospels that you need to see. Now, here's what I want you to understand. When you go to different churches, right, you come here, and we tell you salvation's by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, plus nothing, minus nothing. You know what we mean? We mean salvation, if you want to go to heaven when you die and not split hell wide open and burn for eternity. That's still Bible. Not popular today. A lot of times not preached today because the preachers are cowards that care more about your money than they do about your eternal soul. I believe when I stand before God and when the great white throne judgment shows up, which we'll get to as we study through Revelation, I think I'm going to be there. And I think the people that, are, that I preach to are going to be there. And unfortunately, some have sat in my church pews. They're the Lord's, I understand that, so don't get hyper spiritual on me. But in the church pews where I'm responsible to preach, and I view it like this I view them slipping off my pew and landing in a devil's hell for eternity. Now, if that's going to happen, if you're going to slide off one of these pews and the ground beneath you open up and the earth swallow you up and land in hell, I want to make sure you land in hell because you're an idiot that wouldn't listen to the truth, not because I was an idiot a wolf in sheep's clothing, not telling you the truth of the Word of God. Very important that you understand how to be saved, and that if you died tonight, you'd go to heaven and not hell for eternity. That's very important. Once you get saved, then you need to know the Bible doctrine that's to you. Doctrine is teaching. So why do some churches believe you get saved but then you can lose it and turn chapter and verse and show you in their Bibles chapter and verse where you can lose your salvation if your works don't maintain after you were saved? Do you know they get that from the Bible? Yes, so you got two choices. You can either say, well, that's not what it means and start twisting the Scriptures to fit your doctrine Or you can study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So if in one place of the Bible, Paul tells the church that they're saved and they're sealed unto the day of redemption, and that if we deny him, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself, and that the second you're saved, you're put into the body of the Lord Jesus Christ and you're his bride. You're a chaste virgin to be presented to Jesus Christ as one body and one bride. But somewhere else it says that if you turn from it after you knew the truth and you turn from the truth, there's no more sacrifice for sins but a certain fearful looking for of punishment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. But we are not of them that draw back unto perdition, but them that believe to the saving of the soul. Draw back. Now you got churches out there that say, well, you're saved by grace through faith, but if you don't keep it, you lose it. But how do we know we're right and they're wrong? Right? Uh, you got some churches out there that believe you got to speak in tongues and drink deadly poisons and all the rest of this stuff to prove that you were saved. How do you know they're wrong? They're going to turn chapter and verse and show you in the Bible where the Bible says that. You better understand what rightly dividing the word of truth is. And that's what we want to park it on tonight, and I want to show you something here. Look down with me in Revelation chapter 14. We already covered the first five verses. And look at verse number 6. It says, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel, to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God. This is what they're preaching. Fear God and give glory to Him. For the hour of His judgment is come, and worship Him that made heaven and earth, and the sea and the fountains of waters. So the gospel they're preaching is fear God and give glory to Him. That's not the same gospel as the gospel of the grace of God or the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel of the grace of God is that you, by faith, trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. It's a gift. Not of works, lest any man should boast. This says, Fear God and give glory to Him. You know what the word gospel means? That's what they always tell you. Well, the Latin root of it, it's an English word, and the basis for the English language is Latin. and in Latin it comes from two wo- different words, which means God means God's spell would mean God's words. The gospel is the word of God. What is God saying? You see, the modern-day Greek guys, they always try to tell you it means good news. It means good news because they try to lump the gospel in under one umbrella and say the different gospels in the Bible all mean the same thing, but they don't. Now, watch this. Watch this. Take your Bible and go to Galatians chapter 1. Now, did you just see what was going on in Revelation 14? While you're turning there... Let me read this to you again. And don't forget, when we got to Revelation 14, I showed you exactly who the 144,000 are. Remember that last week? The Bible spells it out for you. They're Jewish male virgins in the tribulation period. (laughs) But religion uses, that's the JWs in particular, they use this passage in Revelation chapter 7, and they talk about the 144,000. What they're not giving you is the words of God. They're giving you their religious twist on what they say the Bible says. They believe and say that they, uh, there's no literal lake of fire. I have one of the, I have their Bible, the New World translation, that those guys over in Brooklyn used to be in Brooklyn, the watchtower, I think they relocated, but whatever. They're at their headquarters, those guys print their own Bibles, right? They give you their own translation, the New World translation. Do you know what the New World translation says? I have JWs knock on my door. I went and got their Bible. I said, I don't even believe this is the perfect word of God. I believe the King James Bible is. But let me go get your Bible and let me show you what your religious leaders, the Bible that they translated for you, let me show you what your Bible says. And let's ask them straight up, do you believe in a literal, visible, eternal lake of fire? No, we don't. All right. Well, why does your Bible say that? And then I show them their Bible. Are you one of the hardened 44,000? Well, I hope so. I said right to the one woman. I said, "You don't look like a Jewish male virgin to me," and she turned beet red. She said, "Huh?" I said, "Well, why does your Bible say that the one hundred forty-four thousand are twelve thousand of of the twelve tribes of Israel, and that they're Jew- See that they're Jews of each of the twelve tribes of Israel according to your Bible, and they're male and they haven't been with women. They're virgins." Uh, 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 uh. I need to come back with my elder. You ought to bring the whole board. (laughs) And make sure you come and sit and listen. I'm not being arrogant, and I'm not saying I'm smarter than them. I'm telling you I believe the Bible as it's written, and the religious leaders of this world don't. And if they do, they sure aren't showing you that, because they care more about your money than your soul. Well, I care about you knowing your Bible, so if you leave out of here tonight saying I'm a heretic, then more power to you, but I'm going to give you Bible. Bible. Galatians chapter 1 verse 8, are you there? What's that say? Paul says, but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached, let him be accursed. Right? Revelation fourteen six. I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven with the everlasting gospel. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you. You mean if an angel flies over right now and says fear God and do His commandments. So you don't go to hell. Your response is, hey angel, go to hell. That's where you came from. Don't you give me a gospel besides the gospel of the grace of God. But when I come to Revelation chapter 14, he says I see an angel flying in heaven and preaching the everlasting gospel. You guys realize there's four different Gospels in the New Testament alone. You come to the book of Matthew and Jesus Christ is preaching the Gospel. So when Paul was speaking to the Galatians, guess who he's speaking to? The church in Galatia. Oh, you mean like not everything in the New Testament is to the church? How could it be? The Bible tells you in Hebrews that a testament is not of force until the death of the testator. So you're flipping through your Bible and then you see an insert in there that says the Old Testament, the New Testament, right? And everybody says the New Testament starts when you start reading Matthew, but Jesus doesn't die till the end of Matthew. The testator's not dead yet. And he's coming preaching to Israel the gospel of the kingdom. You're not preaching the gospel of the grace of God. You know how many churches get messed up in the book of Matthew and Mark and and Luke specifically? Especially Matthew and Luke, and I'll show you one in Mark. They get all messed up because they're starting to think all this stuff is talking to us in the church age. Jesus came to them preaching the gospel of the kingdom. You know what they do now in churches? They even pray, Lord, help us as we bring in thy kingdom. You ain't bringing in the kingdom. Yeah, like, like anything on this, like, you do you know what that is? That's a amillennial position which says this. It says that we're going to win so many people and the world's going to get so much better and better and better until we get it all ready and Jesus then comes and, and shows up. Yeah, how are we doing with that? Doing a great job bringing in the kingdom, aren't we? That, that, ain't, that ain't to you. He's getting it figured out. It's all right. All right, pajamas and ringing phones, but those are my brother Mike only. Let me show you these verses. You've got to understand who these things are speaking to. The gospel of the kingdom. This is a literal, visible kingdom when Jesus Christ reigns for a thousand years on the earth. Go back to Matthew chapter 4, please. The kingdom of heaven is when Jesus Christ rules and reigns on this planet. What I find very interesting is everything happening in the Middle East right now. I thank uh, God for what Brother uh, Dr. Peacock said when he was here. I agree with him 100%. If anything looked more like it than, than anything we've seen in recent history, it would be World War II. Why? The whole world is turning against him trying to wipe him off the map. I mean, well, that's coming again in the future. We know that in the tribulation period. I think what's going on and what you're seeing that shows me we may be getting close to the Lord coming to set up his own kingdom because we're not bringing it in. The Lord coming to set up his own kingdom is the fact that the whole world is getting more and more stirred up against Israel. No. Now, what has given me just between me and you, this is my personal opinion, take it or leave it. I don't claim to be a prophet. I, I try to be a Bible student and I'll do my best to teach you the Bible faithfully. But if I have a thought about something, I'll make sure that I tell you it's my thought. Okay? Okay. And my thought is the only ray of hope that I think we have as a nation, as a nation, because you understand this nation's shot, right? You understand that? Like buckshot from two feet away straight in the chest. I mean, you, know, you get what I'm saying? Like like a whole, like, like, like a whole, however many fits in a shotgun. How many guys? Five, thank you. All five buckshot from two feet away. Like life support. You understand what I'm talking about? We're like pretty much done. You get it? Spiritually. You think God's going to put up with the foolishness he's seen out of this country? There's, Folks, I'm telling you, there's no way. But here's the little tiny sliver of hope I have. It's the fact that they're at least, to some extent, backing Israel. Because he said, I'll bless them that bless thee, and I'll curse them that curse thee. What scares me is that I think they back both sides, to be honest with you. I think the money is moving other directions and everybody's trying to play around with all this stuff and kind of set everything up for their own future. And wars make money and wars help elections and all the rest of that stuff. So it's very interesting to me when we pick and choose to get involved in this stuff. But anyhow, I digress. It gives me a tiny bit of hope to see that we're at least to some extent still backing Israel. Maybe God bought us a couple more years to get something done. That'd be good. That'd be okay. If he's going to tear you, that'd be all right. But the whole world is going to turn against them and try to wipe them off the map, as you're seeing in the book of Revelation. And the king is going to show up right before they finish the job and show them that he's their king. And that whole nation, according to your Bible and some of the prophecies, is going to be born in a day. The whole thing is going to turn back to their Savior. They're going to recognize it's him. So when he showed up, he showed up preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus came to offer Israel the kingdom That's in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 23. I know you can't see it down there, but you can get a picture later. So I should be there by now, Matthew 4, 23. Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, not the gospel of the grace of God, and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of diseases among the people. Why? I think it's 1 Corinthians, what is it, 122 or something like that? Because the Jews require a sign. So he came preaching the gospel of the kingdom and what he was doing was healing and casting out devils and all the rest of that to show the Jews who require a sign. Why do they require a sign? Because when God sent Moses to get them out of captivity, what did they want? What did they need? Sign after sign after sign after sign. What did God give them in the wilderness? Sign after sign after sign after sign. You know what God gave you? Jews require a sign, but Greeks seek after what? God gave you a book. He gave them a book too because He's always given His Word. But you know what He expects you to study right now? He expects you to study the Bible to find the truth. I mean, like, like the rich man of Lazarus. He said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. If they won't hear them, neither will they believe the one rose from the dead. If somebody won't seek out the Bible, won't listen to the Bible when the Bible's preached and feel the convicting power of God's Spirit through the Bible, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, is the Bible. If you won't listen to the Bible, even though some miracle happened with somebody knocking on your front door and smoke coming out their nose and their ears and their mouth, eyes melting in their socket and begging you, don't go to hell, don't go to hell, you still won't believe. So God gave you a book. But the Jews, they didn't want to listen to that. They wanted a sign, so he showed up and he was giving them signs. Go to Matthew chapter 9. I've got to move through these so I can try to be good to my word. Matthew chapter 9, look at verse 35. You've got to notice, what I want you to notice is the difference in the different messages that are being preached. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues. Notice that. That's Jewish. And preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And healing every sickness and every disease among the people. So he's preaching the kingdom to the Jews because he was their king. Came to set up the kingdom. You know what they said? We will not have this man reign over us. You know what else they said? His blood be on us and on our children. And you know what's been happening for centuries now? As horrible as it is. Their children are getting burned alive. They still can't see it. They can't see the curse they put on themselves. And God said, Okay, fine. You crucify my son. You put my son to death for being innocent against the law. You folks got to understand that those Jews violated every law they got, they knew what they were doing was wrong. They tried so hard to find fault with him and they couldn't find any fault. They tried so hard to nail him, boy, and they couldn't get him. They did everything they could to set him up. He was cross-examined at the same time by the Pharisees and the Sadducees who both competed with each other and the brightest minds of their day was setting him up and trying to catch him and trap him in his words and here he was, a young man in his early 30s and never could they ever catch him, not one time. And they crucified him anyways after he proved to them who he was. Raising somebody from the dead—nobody had ever done anything like that. Casting devils out of people, people that couldn't help themselves, he helped them. Healing the sick, man. His blood be on us and on our children. And then them stinking, nutty, crazy, psychopathic, idiotic, demon-possessed morons go in there and chop the heads off of babies. I didn't say that they deserve it. I didn't say that it's right. I said, they put a curse on themselves. I said, his blood be on us and on our children. And they think they're fighting for their independence, but I am telling you right now, they're just getting started. You mark it down, it's going to get worse, not better. God's going to let that thing get pushed right to the brink, and then their Savior's going to show up, and they're going to look on him whom they have pierced. They're going to see those nail-scarred hands and that scar on his side, and possibly those scars from the crown of thorns on his head, and the nail prints in his feet, and they're going to say, Oh, my goodness. And get on their knees and a nation's going to be born in a day when he shows up to save them. It's the gospel of the kingdom. Matthew chapter 24, please. I think I already told you. if I didn't, 24, look at verse 14. Uh, verse 13. Matthew 24:13, "But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved." That's where a lot of Christian preachers in this day and age in churches are telling you that you have to endure. Once you get saved, you can't, you can't backslide, because if you backslide, you lose it. But that thing ain't being preached to the church age. That's preached to a Jew in the tribulation period, and Jesus was preaching that message when He was here regarding the kingdom. This gospel of the kingdom, see that? Shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, then shall the end come. So what you have is the gospel of the kingdom, which is a literal, visible kingdom when Jesus Christ reigns for a thousand years. That's what that gospel is. When it was preached and applied and to whom. During the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ, the gospel of the kingdom was preached. Again in the tribulation period, in the great tribulation, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the Jews. You follow me? Yes, sir. So it was preached during his earthly ministry. They rejected him. When he comes back, during the tribulation period, that same gospel is being preached because that kingdom is the millennium that's coming up for the thousand years when he reigns. Watch this. Let me give you a a couple more real quick. Go to Mark chapter uh, 9. Mark chapter 9. Here's one that a lot of people get real confused about. Um... Mark chapter nine. Look at verse uh, forty-two. Whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. And if thine hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell where the fire shall never be quenched, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell into the fire that never shall be quenched, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. (laughs) How about that for pastoral counseling? Brother, I can't quit drinking. Cut your hand off. You want to go to hell? Brother, I can't quit smoking. I can't quit dope. All right, now let's start here. Let's cut one hand off. And if you don't get the victory after that, come back to me. I'll cut your other hand off. I don't want to cut my hands off. You want to go to hell? That's Bible. I'm giving you Bible right now, preacher. I can't. I got a problem with lust with my eyes. All right. Well, let me just go get a corkscrew out of here. I don't have one in there, you know, just so you know. But let me go get a corkscrew and I'll just, I'll just put that in there and we'll just crank that thing down a little bit. Rip that eyeball out. That's disgusting, preacher. That's what he's teaching. You want to go to hell? Preacher, I can't quit going to the bar. I can't go going to places I shouldn't go. Well, just kind of come on in here. Get yourself a wheelchair. Make sure you come. We'll get a hot iron set up in my office. And I'll get that. I got a sword hanging on the wall. Rip that sword off the wall. We'll cut that foot off and we'll sear it real good and we'll wheel you out of here. Better than going to hell. (laughs) This is is stuff they're preaching. You know, I led somebody to Christ, a very, very intelligent individual, just not, not long ago at all. I can tell she's real smart. And when she came into my office and was was trying to figure out salvation and what she'd been taught, she said this. She said, "Well, what about if thine eye offend thee, cut it off, because I, I pluck it out, and if the hand offend thee, cut it off." She said it's in the Bible, because what she was saying is our works do matter. You're trying to tell me that my works can't save me, but the Bible says that if my foot offends me, I'm to cut it off. She'd been in church. She'd heard somebody preaching. She'd saw the verses, and she got scared. And you know what I did is, because uh, I knew she was smart enough, I don't, usually, I don't usually get into the same detail I did, but I could tell she was really thinking and I could tell I think I'm right, that she had a pretty high IQ, probably a lot smarter than I am. So I explained to her in like a quick nutshell what rightly dividing the word of truth is. And she said, oh, thank you, Pastor. That makes sense. I said, any other questions? She said, no, sir. Are you ready to trust Christ? Yes, sir. <laughs> Just like that. As the Lord, it was like obvious light bulbs for her. That ain't to you. What is this? It's the gospel of the kingdom. You know the Beatitudes? If you don't forgive others, then God won't forgive you. You know how many preachers have preached that to people and use it to manipulate them? I know, I know of preachers that talked to women that got horribly abused and said, well, you have to forgive them because if you don't, God won't forgive you. You manipulate and jerk. You jerk. You don't know enough Bible to counsel anybody. Shut up and let somebody else do the job that will study the Bible before they start speaking on behalf of God and telling somebody that if you don't forgive somebody for doing something atrocious to you or atrocious to your children, somebody that ought to be shot, in my opinion. Ah, Lifetime in prison ain't enough for certain people. That's just my opinion. Vote for Pedro. Let's see what happens to the country. You know, you'll never vote for me. I wouldn't make it. <laughs> There's no way I'd make it. But you say if you don't forgive them, the Heavenly Father won't forgive you. Well, in the kingdom, yeah, because a perfect righteous judge is reigning and everything's dealt with right the right way the first time. But that ain't to you. You realize the Beatitudes of the Gospel of the Kingdom. Jesus was preaching the Gospel of the Kingdom. you got to understand the difference in those Gospels or you'll be so confused it won't even be funny. And then a certain level, a certain standard of living gets put on you that you can't hack. When he's sitting there ruling and reigning on a throne in Jerusalem and giving out a restored earth, that's a whole different playing field. So the expectations for people at that point are entirely different than what he's put on you right now. Ain't that a blessing? Thank God for it, man. Understand rightly dividing the word of truth is a big deal, and it's a blessing to have it. Look at Mark chapter 16. Let me show you one a lot of people get real confused about. Mark chapter 16. Look at verse 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's still good advice. You know, in Bible college, that was like pretty much one of the only verses that they knew. (laughs) At least it seemed like that was about all they knew, you know. That and uh, uh, the Great Commission, and then uh, uh, daily in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. It was just like the same thing. It was just all about soul winning every day. Nothing to grow on for Christians that are saved, but they, they got that down. And that's not bad advice, by the way. You should still try to win people to Christ. I, I love talking to new people. I love it. People that don't know or people that got questions. or I, I love it. I absolutely love it. Nothing stirs my heart up more. I don't ever want to pastor or be a part of a church where people stop getting saved. I want to see people saved, man. But what Jesus Christ was talking here, he was talking to his disciples. Look at this, verse 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So there's a whole segment of people that believe you ought to be baptized for salvation. But he that uh, believeth not shall be damned. Watch this. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents and they shall drink. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay their hands on the sick and they shall recover. I got people out there now that think that that's to them. That ain't to you. (laughs) I can prove it. (laughs) You want me to prove it? Go get you a gallon of bleach. It's on you if you drink it, because I'm telling you, you ain't got that gift. You know these nutty snake-handling churches up in the mountains and whatnot? Them guys lost their minds. That ain't to you. That's when he's telling them to go preach to the Jews. You know what they said in Romans? He said to the Jew what? You know what they did in the book of Acts early on in the book of Acts I don't have time to get into it but you know a lot of false doctrine comes out of the early books the early chapters of the book of Acts yeah. because they were going to the Jew first and he gave the Jews another chance to receive the one they just rejected early on in the book of Acts that's what Acts 238 is all about that thing's probably coming back in the tribulation period that's likely the only chance they have of getting washed to the mark after they receive it is being baptized in the name of Jesus. Possibly. Can't nail it down for sure, but it sure looks like it. Acts 238's is a national thing to Israel. I don't have time to teach Acts. Maybe we'll do that another time. But you've got to understand how to rightly divide the word of truth. Now, now the second thing I want you to see, so the gospel of the kingdom, that's the literal visible kingdom when Jesus Christ is going to sit on a throne in Jerusalem and rule and reign over this earth for a thousand years. And that thing's preached and taught in the New Testament. And it doesn't just apply to the gospels, but it shows back up. It starts being preached again in the tribulation period to the Jews. And it goes on for a thousand years after the battle of Armageddon when Jesus Christ comes back, which we'll get to soon on Sunday night. All right. The second gospel—you got four of them in the New Testament. These two kind of overlap. The first one's the Gospel of the Grace of God. Christ died for our sins, was buried, rose again the third day. The reason that that is important to show these two is that Paul's gospel—it's the same gospel—but he he gets more details than what originally they had because this one begins after Calvary. They're preaching the gospel of the grace of God, but if you haven't noticed when you read Acts, they're pretty confused at first. They didn't start figuring things out until Acts chapter 15. They had a lot of confusion. And early on, there's this other stuff going on like Acts 2.38. So there's a transition process going on, and the waters get a little bit muddy. You can't be so harsh like the the hyper-dispensationalists. They start chopping up these real clear lines, and that starts messing stuff up. So the gospel of the grace of God is beginning to be preached after Calvary till the rapture. Paul comes in and after Paul's revelations, Paul's gospel, he says, my gospel. And I'll show you the references for that real quick. So God gives Paul some things that these guys originally didn't fully understand. Paul doesn't get saved until, what is it, Acts chapter 9? These guys are already preaching. Why is that important to understand? Because when did the church start? Paul says in Romans 16, he talks about them that were in Christ before me. You know why that's important? Because the hyper-dispensationalists tell you the church didn't start till Paul. Well, that's not true at all. The church was here before Paul. So you start chopping the Bible up like that, then they start cutting out First and 2 Corinthians. I want you to know this because you'll run across these guys. When you say rightly dividing, the other guy says, oh yeah, we rightly divide too. <clears throat> he says, oh, praise the Lord, that's great. I didn't know you know about rightly dividing, but they don't mean it like you mean it. But at first they think you do. And we've had them come in here from time to time and they always want to spread their doctrine. They always want to be like, "Well, first and second Corinthians don't apply." Yes, they do. Just because you don't know how to handle tongues when you come across them doesn't mean you chop those verses off and say that doesn't apply to the church. It's first and second Corinthians to the church at Corinth. Acts is the acts of the You ain't an apostle. Paul said, "Am not I an apostle? Have not I seen Christ?" You're not an apostle. Acts is a history book, folks. It's a history book. It's telling you the history of what took place. And you understand in that history there was some debate and confusion and God spells it all out for you, but they break their fool necks on Acts. Acts, Matthew, and Hebrews are three of the books that most churches come up with all their false doctrine from and get people all messed up from those three books because they don't know how to write the divide the word of truth. I'll tell you again, I'm a broken record, I know. Hebrews is not to the church at Hebrew. Yeah, you're getting it. James to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. Who do you think that's talking to? That's Israel. He said, we'll see it in Romans, which we're going through on, on, on Wednesday nights. We'll see it in Romans, coming up to it soon. He, if he broke off the natural branches, which are the Jews, and grafted you in after the fact, the mystery, that he had to reveal to Paul because they didn't see it coming and didn't understand it. And Paul shows up to give you your doctrine. He said, I'm the apostle of the Gentiles. I magnify my office. He's your apostle. That's your doctrine from the Bible. And if you understand that and begin to rightly divide the word of truth, the Bible makes so much sense it's not even funny. You can't find one error in it anywhere. And then you look at all these other churches and we all they all say they believe the Bible, but none of them can agree about it because they don't understand the Bible. You've got to study the Bible. You've got to let the Bible be the Bible, understand it's perfect, look at the context, look who it's written to, study the thing, and it all makes perfect sense. But when you start messing around with it to make it fit your doctrine, that's when you break your full neck. So you've got the gospel, the grace of God, Paul's gospel, and the overlap. You just have added details that Paul gets to what these guys were already preaching. Acts 15.11, please. Let's move fast. Acts 15.11. We're almost done. I don't know if this is making any sense to you or not, but I hope it is. Acts chapter 15, verse 11. I'm telling you, that book is perfect, but you'll come across things that don't seem to add up to you. And then some fool will come in and confuse your mind about all this stuff. And before long, you don't know what you believe. And that's, that's not fair to you. Acts 15, 11, But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Where's baptism? It's not there. It's the gospel of the grace of God. Uh, look at uh, Acts 20, verses 24 through 25. Acts 20, verses 24 through 25. And I thought it was real good. I actually hadn't seen anybody else lay it out like this. Uh, Brother Walker gave the distinction between the two, and it helped me a little bit. I, I like the way he laid it out because it, what it does is it actually kicks the hyper dispensationalists in the seat of the pants. That's what it does. And it, and it, it kind of spells that thing out, that the gospel, the grace of God was here before Paul shows up with his gospel. Paul comes with his gospel, and if you define it according to the Latin, the, the root language of English, it's God's words. So all of a sudden, it's not all about, well, the gospel, if any other gospel, there's only one gospel. All, so it's all got to fit into my system. No, that's not how we're doing it. We're going with what God said, the way God said it, because God's God, and he said what he wanted. God ain't like a man. He gets the mush out of his mouth, and he tells you exactly what he's thinking. And he ain't debating and negotiating with anybody. He gave you his words. So what's the book say? And that settles it all. That's it. it. All right, where are we at? Ex I'm not even supposed to be preaching tonight, but it just this stuff gets in my guts, you know what I mean? Acts 20, verse 24. But none of these things move me, Paul speaking, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus, to testify the gospel of the gospel of the grace of God. But now, behold, I, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Gospel of the grace of God. All right, Romans 1.16. Yes, it is clear. Thank you, Brother Mike. Also called the gospel of Christ, Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. All right, that's not all. Go to, uh, uh, let's do 1 Corinthians 15. Keep going to your right. First Corinthians chapter 15. Look at verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. Alright? So he's going to define the gospel for you. Are you ready? Which I preached unto you, which ye have also received, and wherein ye stand. Your standing before God is in the gospel. It's not in your state. It's not in what you're doing down here on this earth. Is Jesus Christ seated at the right hand of the throne of God? Does He ever live to make intercession for you? Did you trust Him as your Savior? By grace through faith. In obedience to the gospel. Okay, then your standing is seated. So you stand in Jesus Christ. Your standing is in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. Verse 2, by which also ye are saved. By what? By the gospel. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. Here he goes. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried. And that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And that he was seen as Cephas, then of the twelve. After that he was a seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. The gospel of the grace of God is defined as the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians four four. Second Corinthians chapter four verse four. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So it's the gospel of the grace of God. It's the gospel of Christ. It's the glorious gospel of Christ. It's Paul's gospel. Now, it's interesting that he uses the phrase, the glorious gospel. Go to First Thessalonians chapter 3. First Thessalonians chapter 3. And sent, uh, verse 2, and sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. Called the gospel of Christ. Now watch this real quick and we'll be just about done here. I want to show you how Paul refers to it as my gospel. And I want you to see how the glorious gospel is tied into something that's important for you and I to grab a hold of. Look at Romans chapter 2. Here's how Paul refers to the same gospel and he calls it my gospel. So don't forget that when Paul got hit on the road to, to Damascus there and knocked off his horse, remember that? He gets blinded. And then he goes, was it to Ananias, I think his name was, and he, gets, he deals with him there, and then he winds up uh, being swooped off, according to Galatians, for three and a half years, and he sits at where God gave Moses the law. God gives Paul some kind of revelation where he sits down with God at the feet of God and learns from God himself. And he gets this mystery revealed to him of the church. And then he comes out preaching after that. And the other disciples, this is the difference between the Bible and all these other religions. You got a guy that goes and sits at the feet of God between him and God, right? And then he comes out saying, God showed me some mysteries. And God revealed to me what he's doing with the Gentiles. And what he's doing in this age for the church. And showed me some stuff. Now... If you got a, if you got a Book of Mormon, you got to trust that the angel Moroni spoke to Joseph Smith uh, and that what he said was what it is. If you're a Muslim, you got to trust that Muhammad had his little trances and all the rest of that stuff and that he got what he got. Golden tablets and all the other stuff for the Joseph Smith and all that jazz. you got to trust every cult. you got to put your utter faith in one man. And some kind of experience that one man had. But with a Bible, God puts checks and balances there for you. Paul goes up there and sits at the feet of God and gets this stuff revealed to him. And then comes down and the other apostles kick back. You read the book of Acts? They don't accept him very good. They're pushing him back and debate goes on and all that stuff. And then he goes up there in Acts chapter 15 and they all sit down together and they all hammer it out. And then Peter starts telling you later, as like our beloved brother Paul also said, and some things hard to be understood. There's checks and balances. Those books begin to compile in what we call the canon of Scripture over time. And you start looking at that thing compiled over a period of thousands of years on multiple continents of 40 different authors and all the rest of that stuff. And when that Bible winds up getting compiled together, the way that thing meshes out is miraculous. And the way that checks and balances are in your Bible and you can run those references and compare scripture to scripture, it's mind blowing. It's got to be God. So in Romans 2.16, he says, In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Look at Romans 16.25. Romans 16.25, just a couple more and we're done. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest by the scriptures of the prophets. You see what I just told you? You go look at the Old Testament scriptures and you start studying those compared to the New Testament and how the stuff starts checking out, and you can see back there, how did the Jews not see it? They couldn't see it back there, but you can. Because the Greeks seek after wisdom, God gave you a holy book. You say, oh, it's hard to understand. Yeah, sometimes it is. Aren't you glad you don't get it all the first time through? If you did, then a man wrote it. But if you got to work on it a little bit, maybe God wrote it. Maybe somebody a little smarter than you wrote it. He's not mad. He's got to go to work. Thanks for coming anyways. He always apologized. Brother, I have to cut out early, but I don't want to. I'm like, you come anyhow, man. That's a blessing. All right, so uh, he says, according to my gospel, which was a mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest. And what? And Paul says, and go check me. Go run the Old Testament references. Man, what a blessing. Ain't that great? Go ahead. I'm not worried about you asking questions. Go look it up. You'll see what the Bible says. There's a powerful book in your lap. You know why that's important when Paul says my gospel? Why is that important to you? Because he's your apostle. So when you start studying your Bible and want to find out whether or not you can lose your salvation, you better study what Paul said to you. And then you run into passages that tell you you can lose your salvation. You better look at who's speaking and who he's speaking to. And you better understand what Paul says. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we had preached. He's talking to you, the people he's an apostle to. So if an angel from heaven flies over your head and preaches something to you. That ain't according to Paul's gospel. You better know that ain't from God. But in Revelation 14, an angel's flying in heaven and preaching a different gospel, you haven't seen the everlasting gospel show up anywhere yet other than Revelation 14. I haven't showed you one time the everlasting gospel shows up. That's obviously not your gospel. You say, why is that so important? (laughs) Go to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. I'll show you why that's important. Did I point out to you the the blessed gospel? The glorious gospel? Right? Here's part of why your gospel is so glorious. Titus 2.13 Looking for that blessed hope and the what appearing? (laughs) And the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Now wait. I'm not a rocket scientist, okay? Not... Ultra brilliant. But there was no church, New Testament church, Paul's church set up here when Jesus Christ was preaching the gospel of the kingdom to Israel. Right. That gospel is not to me. I wasn't here. The gospel of the grace of God and Paul's gospel are to me. Pretty obviously. Right? When you start listening to the everlasting gospel, which is fear God and give Him glory... He's preaching to the nations of the world in Revelation 14, right? He's already been preaching the gospel of the kingdom to the Jews in the tribulation period. Moses and Elijah were here preaching, and the 144,000 are preaching. But an angel is flying in heaven and preaching the everlasting gospel, and that's to the Gentile nations during the tribulation. This is preached right toward the end of the tribulation to Gentiles. Wait. If this gospel is different than this gospel... And we're told that the guy that flies in heaven preaching a different gospel is to be accursed, where are we? We're not here in the tribulation. No, that should be like a, wow, praise the Lord. Like, who cares what's going on in Israel? We're getting out. Now I'm I'm not like sorry, is this like way too basic for you? Like to me, that's like duh. You're not, you're not here, folks. The glorious gospel, of the blessed God, that's, I mean, the glorious appearing is connected to the glorious gospel, which is your gospel. You're looking for Jesus Christ to come and get you out of here if you're saved. You're not worrying about the great tribulation on this earth. You're getting out. I don't know, can I receive the mark? <laughs> Look at this. Like, people were freaking out about that during COVID. The vaccine and all the rest of the stuff. Okay. If you took the vaccine, relax. You're still human and you're still saved and don't worry about it, okay? No matter what some wacko says on the internet. The gospel of the kingdom was being preached during his earthly ministry. AD 33, he dies. you got the gospel of the grace of God, Paul's gospel, during the church age. You've got the rapture of the church. During the tribulation period, the gospel of the kingdom is coming back because the kingdom is fixing to get set up and it's being preached to the Jews and the everlasting gospel is preaching to the Gentiles during the tribulation. Jesus Christ comes back, and the kingdom is set up. That's the 1,000-year millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And your Beatitudes come, start kicking in, and some of the stuff he preached in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, come into force, they come into effect. And guess what? If your eye offends you, pluck it out. <laughs> Salvation ain't by grace through faith. Right. Because he's seated on a throne, and faith is the substance of things hoped for, evidence of things, what? How can salvation in the millennium be by faith if you go and look at him sitting on a throne? That ain't to you. You are eternally secured because you got your eternal salvation in the gospel, the grace of God. You're sealed unto the day of redemption. So no, you can't backslide in the millennium. You're in your glorified body. There's no chance of you ever going to hell ever, 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 ever. I don't care if you believe it or not. I don't care if you agree with me or not. I don't care if you don't say, I don't believe in Jesus anymore. I don't care. You are eternally secured whether you like it or not. <laughs> because he made the rules, and that's what he said to you. So it's very important you understand this book is perfect. When you come across something that don't make sense, just trust God and keep studying. Learn how to rightly divide the word of truth. And let's pray he comes and gets us out of here. Amen? If he doesn't, I'll see you the, 8th, what's the, final, the 12th, right? The 12th is the following Sunday. I'll be back on the 12th. And in the meanwhile, I'll be praying for you. And I hope and pray that you'll stay faithful, be here every service if you can. Um, support one another. I know some already got on the road heading down there. So there's a few uh, few different families, I think, going down for the Jubilee as well. But uh, those of you that are back here, trust me, my heart's with you and my prayers will be too. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed.